Section 8 of Animal Heroes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joy Baker. Animal Heroes by Ernest Thompson Seton. The Boy and the Lynx. Chapter 1 The Boy. He was barely fifteen. A lover of sport, and uncommonly keen even for a beginner, flocks of wild pigeons had been coming all day across the blue lake of Kaigianau, and perching in line on the dead limbs of the great rampikes that stood as monuments of fire around the little clearing in the forest. They afforded tempting marks, but he followed them for hours in vain. They seemed to know the exact range of the old-fashioned gun, and rose on noisy wings each time before he was near enough to fire. At length a small flock scattered among the low green trees that grew about the spring near the log shanty, and taking advantage of the cover, Thorburn went in gently. He caught sight of a single pigeon close to him, took a long aim, and fired. A sharp crack resounded at almost the same time, and the bird fell dead. Thorburn rushed to seize the prize, just as a tall young man stepped into view and picked it up. "'Hello, Corny, you got my bird.' "'Your bird. Sure yours flew away there. I saw them settle higher and thought I'd make sure of one with a rifle.' A careful examination showed that a rifle ball as well as a charge of shot had struck the pigeon— the gunners had fired on the same bird. Both enjoyed the joke, though it had its serious side, for food as well as ammunition was scarce in that backwoods home. Corny, a superb specimen of a six-foot Irish-Canadian in early manhood, now led away to the log shanty where the very scarcity of luxuries and the roughness of their lives were sources of merriment. For the colts, though born and bred in the backwoods of Canada, had lost nothing of the spirit that makes the Irish blood a worldwide synonym of hardiness and wit. Corney was the eldest son of a large family. The old folks lived at Petersay, twenty-five miles to the southward. He had taken up a claim to carve his own home out of the woods at Fenabank, and his grown sisters, Margat, staid and reliable, and Lou, bright and witty, were keeping house for him. Thorburn Alder was visiting them. He had just recovered from a severe illness and had been sent to rough it in the woods in hope of winning some of the vigor of his hosts. Their home was of unhewn logs, unfloored and roofed with sods, which bore a luxuriant crop of grass and weeds. The primitive woods around were broken in two places. One, where the roughest of roads led southward to Petersay, the other where the sparkling lake rolled on a pebbly shore and gave a glimpse of their nearest neighbor's house four miles across the water. Their daily round had little change. Corney was up at daybreak to light the fire, call his sisters, and feed the horses while they prepared breakfast. At six the meal was over and Corney went to his work. At noon, which Margat knew by the shadow of a certain rampike falling on the spring, 
a clear notification to draw fresh water for the table, Lou would hang a white rag on a pole, and Corny, seeing the signal, would return from summer fallow or hayfield, grimy, swarthy, and ruddy, a picture of manly vigor and honest toil. Thor might be away all day, but at night, when they again assembled at the table, he would come from lake or distant ridge and eat a supper like the dinner and breakfast, for meals as well as days were exact repeats. Pork, bread, potatoes, and tea, with occasionally eggs supplied by a dozen hens around the little log stable, with, rarely, a variation of wild meat, for Thor was not a hunter, and Corney had little time for anything but the farm. Chapter 2. The Lynx A huge, four-foot basswood had gone the way of all trees. Death had been generous, had sent the three warnings. It was the biggest of its kind. Its children were grown up. It was hollow. The wintry blast that sent it down had broken it across and revealed a great hole where should have been its heart. A long wooden cavern in the middle of a sunny opening now lay and presented an ideal home for a lynx when she sought a sheltered nesting place for her coming brood. Old was she and gaunt, for this was a year of hard times for the lynxes. A rabbit plague the autumn before had swept away their main support. A winter of deep snow and sudden crusts had killed off nearly all the partridges. A long, wet spring had destroyed the few growing coveys and kept the ponds and streams so full that fish and frogs were safe from their armed paws, and this mother lynx fared no better than her kind. The little ones, half-starved before they came, were a double drain, for they took the time she might have spent in hunting. The northern hare is the favorite food of the lynx, and in some years she could have killed fifty in one day, but never one did she see this season. The plague had done its work too well. One day she caught a red squirrel which had run into a hollow log that proved a trap. Another day, a fetid black snake was her only food. A day missed, and the large ones whined piteously for their natural food and failing drink. One day, she saw a large black animal of unpleasant but familiar smell. Swiftly and silently, she sprang to make attack. She struck it once on the nose, but the porcupine doubled his head under, his tail flew up, and the mother lynx was speared in a dozen places with the little stinging javelins. She drew them all with her teeth, for she had learned porcupine years before, and only the harsh push of want would have made her strike one now. A frog was all she caught that day. On the next, as she ranged the farthest woods, in a long, hard hunt, she heard a singular calling voice. It was new to her. She approached it cautiously, upwind, got many new odors and some more strange sounds in coming. The loud, clear, rolling call was repeated as the mother lynx came to an opening in the forest. In the middle of it were two enormous muskrat or beaver houses, far bigger than the biggest she ever before had seen. 
they were made partly of logs and situated not in a pond but on a dry knoll walking about them were a number of partridges that is birds like partridges only larger and of various colors red yellow and white she quivered with the excitement that in a man would have been called buck fever food food abundance of food and the old huntress sank to earth her breast was on the ground her elbows above her back as she made stock her shrewdest subtlest stock one of those partridges she must have at any price no trick now must go untried no error in this hunt if it took hours all day she must approach with certainty to win before the quarry took flight only a few bounds it was from wood shelter to the great rat house but she was an hour in crawling that small space from stump to brush from log to bunch of grass she sneaked a flattened form and the partridges saw her not they fed about the biggest uttering the ringing call that first had fallen on her ear once they seemed to sense their peril but a long wait dispelled the fear now they were almost in reach and she trembled with all the eagerness of the hunting heart and the hungry maw her eyes centered on a white one not the nearest but the color seemed to hold her gaze there was an open space around the rat house outside that were tall weeds and stumps were scattered everywhere the white bird wandered behind these weeds the red one of the loud voice flew to the top of the rat mound and sang as before the mother lynx sank lower yet it seemed an alarm note but no the white one still was there she could see its feathers gleaming through the weeds an open space now lay about the huntress flattened like an empty skin trailed slow and silent on the ground behind the log no thicker than her neck if she could reach that tuft of brush she could get unseen to the woods and then would be near enough to spring she could smell them now the rich and potent smell of life of flesh and blood that set her limbs a tingle and her eyes aglow the partridges still scratched and fed another flew to the high top but the white one remained five more slow gliding silent steps and the lynx was behind the weeds the white bird shining through she gauged the distance tried the footing swung her hind legs to clear some fallen brush then leaped direct with all her force and the white one never knew the death it died for the fateful gray shadow dropped the swift and deadly did their work and before the other birds could realize the foe or fly the lynx was gone with the white bird squirming in her jaws uttering an unnecessary growl of inborn curiosity and joy she bounded into the forest and bee-like sped for home the last quiver had gone from the warm body of the victim when she heard the sound of heavy feet ahead she leaped on a log the wings of her prey were muffling her eyes so she laid the bird down and held it safely with one paw 
The sound drew nearer, the bushes bent, and a boy stepped into view. The old lynx knew and hated his kind. She had watched them at night, had followed them, had been hunted and hurt by them. For a moment they stood face to face. The huntress growled a warning that was also a challenge and a defiance, picked up the bird, and bounded from the log into the sheltering bushes. It was a mile or two to the den, but she stayed not to eat till the sunlit opening and the big basswood came to view. Then a low purr called forth the little ones to revel with their mother in a plenteous meal of the choicest food. End of section 8